Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week we're chatting with Anthony Spagnolo, who's the principal of Agenzia Property Consultants. Now, Anthony is a bean counter and we have a chat to him about his background as an accountant and how an accountant looks at property investing different to your average investor. He's also got a lot of development experience and we talk to him about getting involved in property development and then we take a deep dive into NDIS properties which is a real specialty of Anthony's. We look at how it works, how to get involved, what the requirements are, who pays the rent, what sort of returns we are having and much much more. It's a good deep dive on the NDIS and I'm sure you'll enjoy that. Here's Anthony. Anthony Spagnolo, thank you for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure. And we're going to do a real deep dive into the NDIS today, which is something we've never covered on the podcast before. So I'm looking forward to that. But before we dive into that, can you let people know who you are and what you specialize in? Yeah, so um, um, my background is uh, accounting. I had my own accounting firm uh, for about 12 years. Uh, that was following sort of in my father's footsteps and I took the firm over. Um, at the time he actually, my father moved, uh, or he was involved in property development and, uh, had projects going on, uh, whilst he had the firm. However, uh, that sort of grew that side of the business and I took over the accounting firm, uh, always had a passion for property and, uh, was able to get, uh, good experience and in, in um, in being involved in some of those uh, projects and that side of the business also. Uh, as sort of time went on, I uh, was looking for a new challenge, so moved moved out of the accounting space and sold the firm. Uh, then I uh, took more of a, um active involvement, I guess, in the property uh, development business and along the way I decided to get my builder's license as I was project managing some of our sites. So um, I thought that I was going to sort of just be a little bit more hands-on. However, uh, I sort of missed what I was doing as an accountant working with clients. So I found the the time, I guess, to create uh, another business, which was a bit of a hybrid between um, what I was doing in accounting and what I'm, I was, have been doing, I guess, to date in property. And so we set up a property advisory slash buyer's agency business in the last 18 months. Um, that's led to, uh, from one thing to another, uh, which now we sort of niched, niched uh, into the NDIS uh, SDA space. So if you don't know what that stands for, um, NDIS is National Disability Insurance Scheme. And uh, SDA is the specialised disability accommodation component of that scheme. So beautiful. That's a bit of a long intro, I think. (laughs) (laughs) That's perfect. We're going to dive into that, um, of course. And you're definitely an overachiever, being, you know, having the builder's license, being an accountant, you're a buyer's agent. I think you've even got a mortgage qualification thrown in there as well, right? Yeah, I just recently, at the start of the year, I got. Uh, accredited uh, to be a mortgage bro- broker, not not to actively practice, um, just more so to have a, 
uh, I don't know, better understanding and greater knowledge to sort of relay that onto my clients. Yeah, fantastic. Um, now, Anthony, give us a bit of background into into the real you. What were the posters on the wall growing up? Uh, mainly sports posters. I had a Roberto Baggio, um, Italian soccer player, a, a frame uh, in my room. I had some Parramatta Eels posters, uh, some Pamela Anderson posters. <laughs> There's a bit of a mix there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A couple as of any, different any uh, young boy influences would, there. Yeah, as any young boy would sort of uh, aspire to be like their their idols, uh, sportsmen in my case. Yep. I don't know how good uh, Pamela Anderson was with um, with the soccer ball, but uh, I don't think that was the point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> we'll leave that one there, yeah. Anthony. What um, what got you started in in property? What was your first investment? Uh, my first in- investment was uh, just a four-bedroom house in Bosley Park. Uh, that's sort of around the area where I grew up. So as you, as you do, most people sort of their first investment is close to where they live. So mm-hmm. at the time it was more so just to, it's quite young. It was just, just to get into the market, I guess. So then, then from that, uh, as I, as I mentioned, we uh, that was my father's business, so just more of more of an investor in some land subdivisions in southeast Queensland in in uh, Kabulcha. So that was sort of my second investment. So and and from there, um, most of my investments are sort of uh, have been just uh, duplex and townhouse sites. So um, yeah, went from just standard investing to sort of uh, property development, I guess. Just uh, I found that the smaller scale developments were manageable to do um, on my own, I guess. Yeah, and of course, you're, uh, I guess, a bean counter by trade. That was what you studied at uni and it was your your first uh, profession. How, how does someone with an accounting background or a specialist in accountant sort of transact in property differently or, or view property differently, Differently, do you think? Uh, I just think that uh, when I was working with, with or for clients, I guess, uh, it helped uh, a lot of clients come to the, their accountant to get advice um, on their next investment. Uh, so it's just I think accountants have that um, analytical approach that we can sort of um, process the numbers and it all comes down to the bottom line. So, uh, and also there's other, um, as you would know, being uh, in surveying, just uh, yeah, depreciation, write offs, and if you buy a new property. So, there's just that um, accounting point of view, I guess, when it comes to property investment. Do you think, I mean, for, for someone that's not in accounting, to, to me what I hear is that structuring is the main thing that property investors get wrong. So whether they're buying it as an individual or they're setting up a family trust or it's in a company or what have you, is is that your experience or there are there other bits and pieces that, that traditionally investors get wrong from an account's point of view? Oh, definitely, yeah. A lot of people will just automatically um, default to wanting to purchase in their personal name uh, or, yeah, they don't, yeah, just don't have their expertise to know how to um, 
you yeah, set up other structures or look at other options, I guess. So, yeah, that's definitely something that I can that I offer to my clients, I guess, just that um, that great understanding of doing things outside the box. So. Is there anything else that you sort of bang your head against the wall about when people come to you that they've they're doing wrong or they're setting up wrong that an accountant would know better? Um, to tell you the truth, not not really, because they've a lot of like a lot of my clients now that come to me have already sort of spoken to their accountant or to their broker, or if they don't have a broker, I'll refer them on. So they may not sort of. M- no straight away but there's other um experts involved in the process prior to sort of coming to me for property advice so i just sort of give them a bit of a, a overview and reassurance but yeah i haven't seen too to date i haven't seen too many clients that are too far off the mark i guess so it's just it just depends as i said some would would, would, would want to invest personally but then you 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 just sort of make them aware of the um benefits of putting it in a, in a structure, whether it be a family trust or unit trust, and and it's sort of safeguarded against any other business dealings or, yeah, other things that they may be doing outside of property. Yep. Now, you, you moved from, I guess, general practice accounting to a role in the development company. I know that you became sort of a developer yourself, but I guess you got access to you know, the ins and outs of, of, of bigger style development fairly quickly. What are some of the key takeaways that you, you learned from that position? Um, I just, you got to, if like uh, most of our projects were, we would, like if it was resi, resi or commercial developments, most of the time uh, we would obviously tender the project out. Uh, however, one of the partners in the business uh, had a building background. So we, there was there were sites that we would manage ourselves. However, or, or if we tended it out, would sort of just pro- have a sort of project management involvement on the job. So we did a whole. We've done a whole range of things, as I mentioned before, from land subdivisions to um, yeah, uh, seventy apartments uh, was probably the max project that we did. And then we've yeah, built built but, uh, like a. a yeah, sort of a whole range of commercial industrial properties, I guess. So, uh, at the moment, we're work, working on a rezoning in Sydney Southwest, which is uh, a golf course. So we're looking to get that um, uh, rezoned for yeah, some sort of residential use, I guess. So that's been mm-hmm. a long process. So you get to know, yeah, you get to know councils and yeah, and jumping through hoops, I guess to to get done working with uh, town planners and yeah so it's we've got a broad broad range of experience uh, another site that we're working on is a bulky goods site at, at present 11,000 square meters so it's quite big uh, um, mm. yeah so yeah a whole range from smaller smaller sites to, to larger sites so it's just yeah I guess the takeaways have just been if you engage a builder you can do your due diligence and make sure that uh, basically it's a marriage. So I guess you're going to make sure that there's a level of trust and, and that you can work to a, um, a time frame for the project because if it blows out, then then you run into sort of some some troubles with yeah, 
uh, tenants that you have pre-leased and obviously holding costs. So yeah, there's a whole range of things that you've got to be mindful of when when commencing it. Or first of all, from sourcing a, a site, knowing what um, what you may be in store for, I guess. Uh, not that you can't have a crystal ball to see every challenge that may arise. Yeah, but yeah, yeah but basically, yeah, just getting into bed with the right um, partner, I guess. It seems to be that um, many property investors aspire towards the development as part of their portfolio growth, I guess. Do you, do you see moving towards development as a natural progression for investors that, that get a couple of properties or is it such a specialised space that there's really not a lot of great crossover and people should be careful? Uh, I think uh, uh, buying a standard investment is... Um uh, rinse and repeat sort of thing. I guess once you you've got one, if there's you, you get a bit of equity over time, then you've, you can use that equity to purchase another one, and it's pretty straightforward. Whereas in the development space, um, I don't think everyone's got the and, and I never had those skills to start with. So I just look back to see how I've educated myself and like whether it be seminars or courses or just actually. Yeah, you get the best experience from going through the process of doing the project. So, um, yeah, not a lot of, and there's also a risk pro, a risk profile, I guess, of the client to to want to yeah explore that option. Uh, however, once I think with development, you know what if you can work out from the from sourcing and do your crunch your numbers. Uh, once you've done your FISO, um, you find a project that stacks up. Well, essentially, you don't have to just w- wait on um, time to to get your um, growth. You you are actually manufacturing um, the profit margin on the project. So, yeah, essentially, you've got an um, if if all goes well, you you've uh, on completion immediately. You've already got that growth. So you're not just guessing and hoping that the market will will rise. So. Yeah, it's it's. I think in the future, as more investors, uh, and I'm seeing a lot more savvy investors out there. I think uh, investors are starting to understand what what can be um, achieved through uh, property development, whether even if it's on a smaller scale, um, finding a a site where you, you can potentially uh, do a splitter or put a granny flat, a draw occupancy of some sort. Um, yes, that's yeah. I think investors are looking outside the box, and this will be a method that uh, will definitely be explored going forward. For sure, I think it's something that people are naturally very curious about. When, when it comes to you mentioned sort of smaller style developments, when it comes to both your focus and that of your clients, the strategy really seems to be leaning towards you know the house and land or dual lock style properties. Um, what what's the sort of the investment reason behind that what what is it that you're chasing do you do you believe that to be the best for for yields capital growth what's what's the idea there oh yeah i just think like it's uh affordability i guess i guess uh so yeah obviously often when you if you want to do a property development you're going to need uh obviously yeah 20 percent for the land 30 percent for the construction so uh, an initial um, 
to, an investor that may want to purchase a property can purchase with as little as five percent deposit. So it's just a matter of you got you have to start somewhere when you have the smaller deposit, uh, and then as you you sort of have a couple of properties that are working for you and you build up your equity, then you're able to then move to those other types of investments. So it all all comes down to I think, um, yeah, the house and land, jewel locks. The affordability and you're able to it's a starting point and you're able to get into the market uh and there's an and but there's obviously an, an abundance of that sort of stock available i guess so uh we've sold it we for our investor clients we've uh sold a lot in north in southeast queensland just due to the affordability of lands i guess so and the returns yeah. are quite good because lands lands are in, from state to state, land's the only variable factor. So bill costs are, are pretty similar. They may be cheaper in other states uh, as they are in New South Wales, like, like as I mentioned, Queensland. So, yeah, I just think it's uh, a starting point to just get uh, standard investment property to um, begin the process. For sure. Now, our ears pricked up when you talked about yields, and that's, I think, a good segue to be talking about the ndis style properties which are pretty famous for the yield so you were kind enough to send me some documentation and by way of background uh, i'm going to read a little bit verbatim march 2013 the national disability insurance screen uh, scheme was passed into federal government legislation provides support to people with disability their families and their carers um, and the specialist disability accommodation refers to accommodation for people with a disability who require specialist housing solutions. Uh, we'll probably leave it there. Um, that, that's enough of a background to, I guess, the framework of what it is and how it works. But the nuts and bolts of, of how it works, can you give us a bit of an overview about how you actually get involved in in purchasing or, or building one of these NDIS-approved properties? Okay. So, well, essentially there's uh, different builders or developers out there that are offering uh, SDA-specific um, uh, or specialised housing. Um, so, look, essentially we're, we're over, over the last... Uh, 18 months, we've dealt with several um, suppliers, uh, builders, just to find the right solution. Uh, we've now got a short list of builders that we work with directly, so we're happy to um, have a conversation with anyone that may be interested. Uh, however, yeah, you mentioned that there's a lot of um, nuts and bolts and moving parts, so um, essentially when you build a, uh, a house, it's... Got to, it's going to be designed and have certain um, criteria that is required to be fulfilled to um, to make a house SDA compliant. So different regulations like bench heights, um, hallway widths. Uh, uh, it's uh, most in most cases these houses um, or the, the the good houses anyhow will have. Um, on suites that allow for wheelchair access. Um, yep. So they're geared up specifically for the participants. So if, if, yeah, if the well-thought-out houses are like um, that 
uh, are catered to a higher level, which is high physical support. So it's basically wheelchair-bound participants. Um, then there's they've got hoist uh, sort sort of extra supportive beams because most bedrooms will have hoists to allow to get a participant in and out of their bed. And so there's a lot there's a lot more um, fit out um, that has to go in place. But essentially, um, you will be once a house is signed off by an accredited SDA certifier, then you can get a, le- uh, a lease, a 10 plus 5 plus 5, with the uh, NDIS or the SDA. So it's you've got to essentially make sure that you've built it to that criteria because it's very specific. Otherwise, the certifier won't sign off. On the house, and then you will not be able to rent it as an SDA home because you won't be able to get a lease in place. So it's very important that you go off the right um, builder or supplier that understands uh, all these regulations that have to be implemented. So if you understand the regulations and the standard sizes, you know the the widths and all the specifications. Can you engage a, a builder and then have a certifier do it? I mean, can it be in any location, or do you really need to go with a company that uh, that understands all that and sort of almost has the the pre arrangement with NDIS? I definitely, I think uh, it's crucial to go with uh, a supplier that understands and have done multiple properties because. You run the risk of going with just a builder that's never done one of these properties before. You run the risk of like we've seen, we've heard of cases uh, where uh, like a, a hallways like because you get obviously like trades that do volume work on uh, on sites, so they may, may just work to normal building standards. So if you don't have someone that's experienced in this space. Very easily, you can be um, knocking down walls and yeah, adding extra costs to the job just through a lack of understanding. What do the numbers typically look like if you are wanting to get involved in an NDIS-style investment? The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. Um, so uh, most of the ones that we've done have been uh, in North in Southeast Queensland to date. We've got partnerships in New South Wales and Victoria uh, as also. Uh, however, the price range for properties rough, like they start as low as 600 up to a million uh, for three to four better um, uh, SDA homes. So that's sort of the, roughly the price range. Um, the yields available on that are around a minimum of 8% net to 15% um, net per annum. Wow. Um, previously, when we first started the journey, we we worked with another partner, no promising returns of yeah, 20% or, or if not higher. Um, but we want, as we've navigated the space, 
we've found out that that's um yeah that's not achievable and we'd like to just work with realistic numbers uh the only variable factor that comes into play when looking for an sda home is the land component so the further you move away from a cbd then the land becomes cheaper however the rents on the uh offered uh from the sda and there's a rate of tape uh a table of rates that um, sort of specifies the criteria because you may have there's different levels of support so you've got high physical support uh, all the way down to just improved livability so the higher you go and you cater your property then the higher rate of return that you're going to receive in the way of um, rent from the SDA so um, yeah essentially if you have a if you build to the highest spec you can ha have all those lower levels living in the house but um it's not the other way around if you build to the lowest level you can't have the highest level yeah. people living in there so um on average say um i'll just give you an example um so for a uh for a four bedroom home that we've just recently purchased for a client the the gross the gro uh, gross returns uh with me we're about the total income where it was uh around a minimum we projected eighty four thousand, a maximum of 127,000, and so they were gross yields of between 10 to 16 percent so then the net yields on that one were uh around uh seven to twelve percent net so that's on a eight hundred thousand dollar purchase Okay, and what are the the expenses and the outgoings with that? Is there sort of management fees, like in defence housing or something yeah, like that? Yeah, well, the management fees in this space was um, uh, so very surprised when we sort of went into it because it's a lot higher than your standard um, uh, residential uh, real estate uh, management agent. That uh, the 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 they they actually have a a higher level or higher role, I guess, in the whole process that the they're called service providers. So, that in effect, their management fees are often uh, fifteen to twenty percent, which sounds sounds quite high. Um, however, they do a lot more work uh, in that they actually have to keep relationships with the care providers. So, if uh, if you don't know what a care provider is, essentially a person that's registered for their SDA or NDIS plan will then uh, then have a component which is of um, funding that's for accommodation. So, yep. so um, as yeah, as part of that, uh, then that they can obviously be placed into um, specialised housing. Uh, so the care provider. There's, there's care providers for all types of um, uh, funding that a participant be, be, may be approved for. Out. So they may be, be approved for funding outside of um, housing. So there's different care providers for different needs. So essentially yeah. there's seven th around 7,000 care providers that um, specialise in accommodation Australia-wide. So essentially if, if, I, if, if you have a person that's approved for funding um, 
uh, for their accommodation, then they'll have the care provider who look after their needs. So essentially, uh, the service provider who's managing the property has to maintain relationships with the care providers because they're the ones who have um, the participants who are either approved or getting or in the process of becoming approved for funding. So it's quite crucial that yeah that those relationships are uh, kept intact. So if for any reason a tenant may move out, then they've got a um, they've got someone ready to fill that place and make sure that the the property is performing at the highest level, uh, and there's no um, sort of uh, vacancies, I guess. So, yeah. And also, so let's say oh, one, one more point. Sorry, uh, there's yeah. there's also a level of um, uh, auditing and reporting that needs to be done by the service provider, so that a property will every year or every two years, property has to maintain the status that it's still. Um, up, up to the level of standard that is required. So the SDA are yeah, constantly reviewing properties to make sure that um, they're providing the participants the best living conditions. Yeah. And, and I mean, on the face of it, it sounds, you compare your standard residential property management rates at 7 or 8%, it sounds a lot higher, but it's a completely different yeah. beast the way that you've, you've described it. Let, let's say someone... Um, is in your your NDIS property and they they vacate. The the rent is paid through the lease, which is taken up um, by the care provider. So that, uh, that has really no impact on the rent. Um, is that right? No, no, no. In certain cases, you have some some uh, agents that take that will take a head lease, and so a service provider may take a head lease, which essentially mm-hmm. guarantees you the rent, and then they do with the care providers. However, there's also like not every um, service provider um, provides that, and that's sort of a little bit rare. Um, so essentially, it's not like a standard lease where, if like, if you have a commercial lease and you've got a tenant that move, like they might may have a two year lease and they move out, so they've got to keep uh, provide you with rent ongoing for that period. It's a little bit different with the SDA. It's actually called a head through lease, so. If a tenant moves out for any reason, the SDA will cover you um, rent for that participant because they often share. Often, these homes are shared homes. Yeah. Um. So they will uh, provide you a rental guarantee of sixty to ninety days until you 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 um yeah refill that space. So it's a little bit different. So it's not that yeah. If you've got a a longer term lease, that will be ongoing. So that's that's why it's essential to keep those relationships intact with care providers so that you will um, have someone that can fill that space straight away. However, uh, in this space, um, there's not a high turnover rate of um, uh, uh, of participants. So often once a participant uh, finds a home that they like and move in, they don't, they don't uh, usually move around very often. Uh, However, that could also be uh, a fact that there's um, there's a such a high level of demand for housing. However, there's a a, bit, a, a massive shortfall. So often, uh, like we're, we're sort of at the start of um, the start of things with uh, with the state uh, the state government sort of uh, like it's, but the NDIS uh, legislation came about 
oh, over seven years ago, um, or the scheme, sorry, and was only sort of legislated uh, last year, mid last year. So uh, at present, you have, uh, as at the end of last year, I think it was, there was like uh, only 13,000 13, people that were approved for SDA funding. Uh, however, that's set to jump uh, in the coming years uh, to anywhere as close to, if not more than 50,000 participants. So there's wow. there's definitely a, 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 and there's probably not even 20% of housing to, to cater for that because it's, it, it's, yeah, such a, it's a new scheme, such a high level of demand and there's more people getting approved for, for funding. However, there's a shortage because um, investors haven't to date been able to, uh, or yeah, get, uh, get the supply up. I guess just due to probably the complexities of it, of of um, of the a whole scheme. I guess the, there's a lot of move, as I've just mentioned before. You can tell there's a lot of moving parts. So even though the yields are high, I find that um, there's still some further education and that needs to sort of. Uh, get get things out there to the general public uh and i think as people jump on board and help um fill that shortage then it's going to obviously be a great win for the participants requiring this specialized housing yeah absolutely and i mean there's all sorts of terrible stories you hear about um young people with disabilities being in nursing homes when this could really be a better situation for them i'm trying to um I'm doing my best to pick some holes in this, uh, Anthony. So okay. vacancy is not really an issue because of the shortage. The yields are, are, are fantastic. What What if we say want to sell the property? Are we able to on sell the the lease? And I'm kind of thinking also these houses are built in such a specialised way. If NDIS legislation was removed, which seems really remote, are, are these properties kind of useless to owner occupiers that would want to go in there, or, or tenants would would find them sort of places like they wouldn't want to live? Uh, no, we, we look when we first started, uh, we we were working with a company that specialised more uh, more in sort of unit style housing, and they they had lifts to because for some reason if you've got a two-story apartment with a lift um then you get a higher rate of return so uh, understanding the the uh sda table of rates um was quite complex like we discovered that um you were better off if you had a two-bedroom apartment and you had one bedroom occupied and one bedroom vacant that you would actually get um, a higher rate of return for having one participant staying uh, in that unit than you would with two. So it's there's some complexities right. around understanding, which is, yeah, we were scratching our heads and I had to get my team to, to also check it and look into it. And, yeah, it was a bit of a weird one. But um, so we steered clear. Uh, we sort of, not that the unit model won't work, um, but we've to steer clear, as you mentioned, just that exit strategy. So we lot, most of the houses that we sell are from the front would look like a standard uh, four-bedroom home. 
Um, however, when you go inside, obviously it's got that larger fit out component and, and fully spec, but they're, they're quite easy to convert back if you had to, to extend to another in, like investment property or, or into a home if you wish to live in one of them. So it's, it's just that you've got that extra fit out when you, when you, when you obviously build the property. So if it's to convert it back to a standard uh, resi property, then it's got common areas, a kitchen, a breakout room. So it's not just like it doesn't have like a feel of a hospital or anything like that. It's actually it's right. actually a, just a house on steroids. Right, <laughs> a house with slightly wider hallways and a couple of bit more stainless steel bars to help you get in and out of the yeah, shower. Yeah, some extra, extra supportive beams, but you don't see them. So if you had to, yeah, make make. Uh, make good, I guess, into a standard re resi property. It wouldn't take much to to make a few modifications. Yep. Um, now let's talk about. Just sorry, mate. Uh, I'll let you finish. The point that I made, like, just uh, for, for like in, in, any investors, uh, obviously, I, I mentioned it's got a, a ten by five, ten plus five plus five lease, so uh, that's a head through lease. But essentially, um, so the NDIS has uh, dedicated. Uh, around 22 billion a year to NDIS funding for the next 20 years. That's for their total plans. So, uh, for the actual accommodation component, uh, it's around 700 million per annum uh, for accommodation, and it's not capped. So, that that just gives you um, any investor a level of certainty that the government will. Uh, and it's the second biggest social scheme, only to second to Medicare. So it just gives the investors that um, level of comfort that uh, going forward, the funds are there and the government's committed, and it's and it's a feel good social um, scheme, I guess. So. For sure. I mean, it sounds fantastic, and I think um, it would probably be political suicide to take away resources from um, the disabled community that desperately needs it. So I, I'm, I'm presuming that it's here to stay. Now, Anthony, I'm not sure I'd categorise you as a, a buyer's agent per se. Your, your strategy is much more around the advisory and that sort of thing. Um, so outside of NDIS, what, what are the typical services you provide to, to clients that are coming to you saying, Anthony, I, I want to I retire financially free or grow my portfolio? Okay, so we, 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 we put plans in place with projections and do a holistic approach. Uh, one of my... Um, preferred broker, or he works in our team actually, um, uh, he's, he's a broker but he's also a financial planner. So um, I've got software, we've got my, my marketing team, we're also a high level in their programmers. So we've put some some high level sort of systems in place and designed some, some, some things that give us a high level reporting and we can forecast things and, pro, and, and yeah, pick, get a client, uh, uh, get a client's current position to, and where they want to be in 10 years and how many properties they may want and we can sort of design a strategy and, a and put a plan in place to help them achieve their goals to to get there and yeah it's 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 uh it's only, obviously it's just uh, their projections but we've helped clients um in purchasing multiple properties so it's definitely yeah, a, a higher level that i think that we can 
offer, and that's all. Yeah, all all part of the, the, our service. When it comes to the modelling and the research, is it pointing to any particular areas within Australia that are offering some good potential? Um, as I mentioned, uh, so I'm obviously based in Sydney. Uh, I think the market's sort of, yeah, obviously we've got COVID, but I think it's pretty pretty, pretty stable. Uh, it hasn't gone as far backwards as some of the... Uh, economists or the banks may have sort of forecasts. So I think it's sort of just whilst interest rates are low, it's pretty stable. But, um, yeah, we, we, we like the, the Queensland story, the affordability, uh, especially sort of north north of Brisbane all the way up to Sunshine Coast. We, that's sort of where a lot of transactions have been coming uh, in the last 12 months, I guess. So that's, um, yeah, obviously you've got, We've got software and, and things to identify hotspots in different states as, as well, but I just that's that seems to be where most of our research has sort of been been uh, moving us for most of our purchases um, of the, to date, I guess. You've made reference to the the market such as it is at the moment. It's it's fairly stable, I guess. It's perpetuated uh, perpetuated by a um, uh, low stock shortage. Where do you think investors can capitalise on the market at the moment? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a good question. I guess I just um, I think if you can look at factors going forward, like uh, like for example, we've uh, we've got an office based in Western Sydney, so you've got the new airport coming in in. Uh, in place I guess and there's a lot of infrastructure and government spending so I just think if you can see what's um, going on around uh, certain areas then you can get in get in at the right time and just let um, let that sort of development take place and you will catch capital growth over over time another example as I mentioned, Southeast Queensland and the Northern Corridor. There's a university in Morton Bay, a new university, and a lot of um, infrastructure and spending going on. So all these factors, I think, uh, yeah, uh, I was going to say immigration and population population growth, but obviously there's not a lot of immigration at the moment due to the borders being closed. So yeah, all the all those sort of factors and yeah, sort of um, unemployment and occupancy rates so all you've got to yeah, take into account a whole heap of factors and we've got an algorithm that actually yeah takes into to account yeah 50 or 60 different factors so it's just a matter of getting doing your due diligence or using your supporting um supporting software and, and whatnot to to give you the best sort of um the best prediction i guess all comes down to that due diligence. Pardon me, that due diligence, isn't it? That's that's a, that's correct, hundred percent. You got to yeah, do your research, um, explore the areas, and then if you still don't uh, have confidence, doesn't it? Yeah, reach out to a professional, uh, whether it be another property advisor or buyer's agent, uh, or um, yeah, or someone that, or even real estate agents. I guess just someone that you think. Uh, may have a higher level um, of understanding than, than you have, I guess. It's, ask everyone. <laughs> I, I get everyone's yeah. opinion and then do your own research. 
Yeah, great advice, Anthony. Um, if people are wanting to get in touch with yourself, what's the best way to do that? Uh, you can visit my website uh, at genzia.com.au, A-G-E-N-Z-I-A.com.au, or yeah, shoot me an email, anthony at agenzia.com.au. Uh, or you can give me a call, 0414-745-684. Beautiful. Happy to, happy to help. Now, Anthony. Or, or just have a friendly chat. Beautiful. Fantastic. We love it. Mobile numbers, pretty easy way to get you. Um, if there's one piece of advice that you can give to property investors, Anthony, what would that be? Um, basically just to not sit idle. Uh, start small if that's uh, all you're able to do. If you've got a small, if you can come up with a deposit, start start small. Just get into the market because the the longer you sit on the sidelines, the the longer that you're missing out. And um, yeah, time is what creates wealth, and yeah, you got to be in it to win it. <laughs> I love it. That's uh, some great advice, Anthony. Thanks very much for for joining me today and sharing your wisdom. No worries. Uh, thank you very much and I uh, appreciate uh, your time. It was great to have a chat and look forward to talking again soon. Thank you. Likewise. Cheers. Take care. Bye.